everybody. This is Bill Knauer, author to author, where we talk about writing and life, because what it takes to write the book you want to write is also what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. It's true. Author to author is brought to you by Author Magazine, the premier free writing magazine on the internet featuring articles on writing. Yes, lots of articles on writing, business of writing, craft of writing, but also the writing life, you know, just what it is to be a person facing a blank page and saying, what do I think should be on it? Yes, we write about that too. I write about three times a week, unless we publish articles. Anyway, lots of articles. Plus, we have video interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors across the genres. Got a new one up with Kira Jane Buxton, author of Hollow Kingdom, a hot new YA novel narrated by a crow. Yes, it is. Interesting book, interesting person. She experienced a lot of failure in early in her life trying to be an actress, but it just, it just did something to her. It steeled her to pursue writing, and she talks about it with humor and liveliness. It's a great interview. Check it out, authormagazine.org. And we're funded by the Pacific Northwest Writers Association. These people have been supporting writers from pen to publication since 1955. And, uh, well, you know, I'm a part of that group. And, um, yes, uh, we will be having a conference in September, great conference. People are signing up for it now. Early bird special. If you know you want to go to this conference, if you know you have a project and you want to pitch it, and you want to attend the conference, well, do it early. You save money. You get to meet more agents and editors. It's worth it. Yes, it is. Believe in yourself. Do it. PNWA.org. PNWA.org. Yes. Well, uh, last week had a great fearless writing online, fearless writing class. I'm going to do fearless marketing this uh this week, this weekend, Saturday, uh, March 7th, yes. Still have slots open there. If you want to sign up and go to my website, williamkenauer.com, sign up for that. Also, speaking of PNWA, I'm going to be doing a live in-person fearless writing workshop through PNWA, uh, and you can sign up for it at pnwa.org. That'll be if you, of course, live in the Pacific Northwest. That's going to be you have to live sort of near Seattle or thereabouts. Okay. Oh, we got a boy. One of my favorite people back on the show, Andrea Pollard. She is a, well, she's a psychologist and an author. Yes, she is. And she's also a lifelong meditator. Her interest in psychology and happiness began early at age 16. She became a clinical psychologist in Germany first in 1993 and then in California in 2001 and was trained in primal therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, self-psychology, and positive psychology. When Andrea discovered that happiness is possible even for those who were previously traumatized, she decided to share the necessary skills. She, so she began writing uh, a unified theory of happiness, an East meets West approach to fully loving your life, which she completed over the course of 12 years, people, 12 years. It was published by Sounds True, an internationally published award-winning book. Uh, subsequently, she founded a psychotherapeutic approach, synthesizing psychology and the wisdom tradition, Zen Psychology Therapy, ZPT. She offers this approach in her Los Angeles Center for Zen Psychology. Andrea also writes a popular column for Psychology Today. Her two new projects, The Heart, uh, the Heart Sutra and Enlightenment Guaranteed, The Ten Habits of Sane People in the Insane World, are soon to be published. Andrea, how are you doing? Yeah. Very good. Thank you for having me, Bill. You know, Andrea, uh, when I was a boy, my mother brought my 
brother and my sister and I over to her friend Anne's house, and she said, we're all going to meditate. Let's go. We're all going to meditate. So we laid, I laid down, and it was just like the most boring hour of my life. Now, I'm a meditator now, <laughs> but when I was a kid, it was just impossible. And it took me, it wasn't until I was in my 40s that I could really do it. But you've been doing it all your life, so what drew you to it at an early age? So, uh, yeah, I mean, you cannot make young kids do it the way that adults do it. I mean, it's a big mistake, right? I think it's kind of almost like child abuse. Yeah, I mean, some people have a talent for teaching children mindfulness, but this is not really what they're thinking about, like, oh, you have to lay down or sit down and be quiet and count your breath. So for me, I, it, it happened very naturally. Uh, I was raised Catholic, and uh, I was a very wild child, and yet I was very, very quiet in church, and I I didn't know that when I went into my deep state of, you know, quietness, I just, I didn't know that not everybody prays like this. I never prayed for anything. I never asked for anything. When I was praying, I just got very, very quiet. And my mom was very surprised every single time and asked me, what are you doing there? And I just said to her that uh, I'm with God. I had no better terminology. I just felt like this silence is when I found myself and found the moment. I did that way earlier than 16. But when I was 15, I was taught to meditate like you can when you're a little older. It was uh, also in church. It was, once again, it was uh, from a Catholic. My experiences with the Catholic Church were excellent. You know, they taught me how to meditate. And that's how it proceeded. And I went also in a convent. Once again, they did meditation there too. You you know, it's like they taught me the the competition. and, And then... I walked a lot in the forest and in in the fields when I was a young person, and I kept this up. It developed into walking meditation, walking meditation. I still do a lot of walking meditation very, very slowly here in in my, my home. We have a really nice garden, and it's very quiet here in the mountains in Topanga. And that's where I practice every day. And it's, it's a very natural form of meditation that I practice most of the time. And then I also sit now for 20 minutes just sitting, zazen. Um, that is also my practice. But I would never be where I am if it were for 20 minutes a day just meditating and counting my breath or paying attention to my breath. I don't count my breath anymore. I just pay attention to my breath in the present moment. But I wouldn't be here at all if it, if, if I had been, uh, you know, if I had to formally meditate from an early age. I, this daily practice every day for me, uh, almost whatever I do is a meditation for me, of course, including writing. Yeah. Right, yes. Yes, and so, you know what's interesting is before I meditated, before mm-hmm. I started meditating, I always thought, I said, well, when I hear people describe meditation, it sure sounds like what I'm like after I write. It sure feels, I mean, I know it's different because I'm yeah. being sort of more active, but mm-hmm. uh, once I started meditating, I did see that there was more connection there. I was right. that There was a connection between the meditative state and the writing state. Very much so. 
Very much yeah, so. I, you know, yeah. when you when 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 my definition of meditation is very general. You know, you focus your mind on something positive or whole, and while your mind is somewhat relaxed, you're also excited or aroused, or you're you you're you're highly focused. So you're not in a just relaxed state of mind. You're also right. highly focused, and so this sweet spot between focusing your mind and relaxation is exactly what you do in meditation as well, except for with meditation, then you take it one step further. But, you know, for some people, that's not something that works. Some people want to always be active. For example, there were very famous Zen masters who said that Activity is far superior over sitting down quietly. So we had, we have a lot of different examples, uh, masters that taught yes. us how you can also do it. There is not one size fits all. A lot of people think, oh my God, Zen is such an austere discipline. You have to sit there, stare against the wall, get hit right. by something if you seem to not focus very well. But for me, Zen is a very fun practice. It's 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 my time where I get to do absolutely nothing, <laughs> where that is the whole right. idea of not getting anywhere but being completely here. So I have that as my time, but then I also find Zen, it, there's so much more to Zen than just sitting for me. You, There's so many wonderful stories you learn from, and there's so many paradoxes that you you uh, deal with or you you get subjected to when you study Zen. They They make it so that you cannot take yourself too seriously. It's impossible. And it's a, it's a quality that we as writers need very, very much. You know, we, we Not need, to take ourselves too seriously. Take, yes, yes. Yeah. yeah I think true. that's essential to, to good writing. It's, it's like if you, if you, especially when you think of the outcome, oh, I have to make it Sweet. and be read yeah. by so many people and yeah, I yeah, have to yeah. gratify everyone. And you know, you've talked about this in your program a yeah. lot where this is, this is a death of creativity, you know, when you're yep. getting enslaved to the outcome. Yep. And, and really, you, 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 how do you disattach from the outcome um, I think is you fall in love with the process and you do that by not taking the outcome or your ego that is, you know, involved with the outcome. Not, you can't take that too seriously. No. No, you cannot. It's, it's really, I mean, you can frame it a number. You can use different language for it. You can frame it different ways, but it's always about being present because the outcome that you want is, is to be in that flow, in that zone, and that becomes its own reward that becomes its own outcome and what comes out of that, what you produce, if you will, while in that state, that brings you those other outcomes that you think you want so much, which is readership and money and blah, blah, blah. But it all begins with caring about the outcome of being present and tuned in and receptive and in the flow, and then everything else just comes out of that. But you have to remember yeah. that. We have to remember that. And that's really the problem. That's what I consider our greatest problem also here in our society, that we can actually no longer do this. Our culture is no longer conducive 
to just doing something because you love it or you you enjoy the process or you find meaning in the process. It makes you grow as a person. It's always goal-oriented. It's always yeah. outcome-oriented. And, and so that's why I wrote my new book because I, I felt that people are sucked into a life of high demands everywhere. We're completely overwhelmed by so many different stimuli and we don't know how to handle ourselves anymore. So people feel a sense of dread the moment they wake up in the morning. Right. And uh, this goes on until they go to bed at night. And they are, yeah. you know, the, the, the greatest thing that you can say about yourself is, how are you? I am busy. And you know <laughs> this is, you know, this is and, and, and rich and poor people alike. So this is yeah. like a common bug that everybody has caught, that you think that busyness is it, and you can't escape it. And all this overwhelming uh, stimulation in the media 24-7, then you have all this drama in politics, yeah. and then you, know, you have the Facebook, uh, and I love Facebook, <laughs> by the way, but you have so many people being so outraged constantly and yeah. bitter and angry, and they misunderstand everything. And then, but it's it, it, beyond tech, you know, technology, which has made our lives so much more difficult you know emotionally it's just so much harder to just relax and have a good time and and be yourself and be creative and be constructive actually with something but it's also all the other things you know that characterize our modern times everything is so fast changing no more calm spaces nobody has time for each other anymore we got to find our calm mm -hmm. space ourselves don't we andrea we got to make our like you go for your walk in the yes. hills you're calm i can sit in my chair i'm calm and i i okay. i have to say i am curious uh, about the 10 habits of sane people i'm hoping i'm hoping i've got about 3 of them maybe at least mm -hmm. mm -hmm. so what are these of this 10 habits of sane people in an insane world what are some of those habits? What are your favorite habits of sane people? So for me, to, I mean, it's in three parts. The book is in three parts, and that's how I also remember everything in three parts. Right. It's before you get out of bed, you prepare yeah. your mind. You, be, you prepare okay. your mind. And then, and I'm going to get into that a little bit, but then you have five habits that you, you do um, that that you spread over the day that you need to get to somehow when the right time is for you. This is very individualistic um, for when you can do it. And then there's one more after uh, the sun goes down, you prepare for nighttime again. Mm -hmm. So it's like a daily right. guide. It's not something. It's so it's a it's a secular spiritual guide that starts in the very early morning and ends at night and my favorite part of it is is that yeah i think it's it's the overall concept that you don't have a spiritual practice that is just once a week you know i go to temple i go to right. church or i right. meditate or i go for a walk or even just once a day i don't think can be enough it's not some this it you know even if you go for a walk it's beautiful and it will help you to go for a walk 
once a day for 10, 20 minutes. It will help you. There have been lots of uh, studies about that. But what really makes a difference is when you have a whole routine where where you just know what to do and how to find yourself and right. not lose yourself. So preparing right. your mind before you get out of bed can take four minutes if you know what you're doing, but you have to know what you're doing. You need to learn a little bit about it. What does that mean? So when I wake up and my mind wanders just like everyone else's mind. Oh, yeah. my goodness. I have to get well, up, number one. Do. That's not so easy for me. <laughs> I'm not a morning <laughs> person, yet I have three children. So, you know, right. it's, yeah, it's yeah, not. Yeah. So I, that's my first dreadful thought. Oh, my God, I have to get up. And then <laughs> I come to my senses and I say, you know, what can, you know, what can I say good morning to? You know, what, what can I say good morning to? I want to say good morning, you know, because it's so dark yeah. immediately when you yeah. wake up like this. So I say good morning to myself and to the world and to the day. And, and so there are some practices that when, when you know what you're doing, you, 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 it really has a positive impact for, for your, yourself for the rest of the day. And then I scan the day quickly for something positive. So I I don't believe we have to force ourselves to be grateful all the time, but gratitude can be quite natural when you right. just simply scan the day. What's good? What's good? What, right. what you know? Because our right. mind automatically goes to the bad because of our biological negative bias. So we attach, we look, we search for the negative because we want to be prepared. We want to know what's coming. That's just a very natural biological response. But to counteract that, we can just quickly just, you know, take a moment and just, you know, find something that is, is going to be good. So then yeah. there are other things. Form and intention I find very important. Didn't used to think so. I thought like the road to hell was paved, you know, with right, intention. Right, What's that right. saying? The road to Brave hell. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. Yes. So I used to think so, and I was quite skeptical, you know, of positive psychology. Um, but I have come to love it and embrace it in my life and as a practitioner, and and I'm including it in my book because intention has such a profound impact on us. Like yeah. it's it's such a big difference whether people have the intention. I'm going to. They they made studies uh, just about that where they can see that the only difference between these two people and how they felt about something was that they formed an intention to feel especially good, for example. And you it know, had and an so, incredible impact, yeah. Absolutely. And I, and I want to just interject mm -hmm. about how this affects writing. In fact, because I, I, I teach fearless writing, and I often bring this up now with my mm -hmm. students and my clients, which is, you know, writing has two, you have two experience with writing. Sometimes the very, there's the very good part of it, which is when you're in the flow and you're in the zone and things are coming. But there are also moments where you're, it's not coming, maybe you feel blocked, maybe you don't feel, maybe you feel cold, maybe you have no ideas. But I think it's very important that when you're not writing, that when you think about writing, you only think about the part that you want to have. You, you only think about the flow state. You only think about the, the, the highly creative state because that's the goal. You don't want to focus on the part that you don't want. You want to picture, like, I'm going there to have this discovery. I'm going there to have this creative 
flow state. I may not, maybe I won't get there, but that's my goal. That's why I'm doing it. I'm not doing it to feel blocked. I'm not doing it to feel cold. But you've got to think about it in the most positive, you've got to make the most friendly story about writing you can when you're not writing, I think. Does that make sense? I, I, I do. I believe that is the case. I think uh, what I would describe as I make sure that my heart remains open and that I will not close down on myself with anything negative. I can't do this. How I will do this? This is the exact outcome I want to have, etc., etc. Yeah, There's yeah. so many ways to do this, but when you open, when you say, "I have the intention to keep my heart open and to whatever the the moment brings," even in writing, you you know you have you have you know you want to create a beautiful sentence. It works as a beautiful sentence. If you are too rigid about it, you cannot. It won't flow out of you. But if you if you have an open heart and you pay attention to this and you go with the, your own cues, basically, you, something opens up in your mind with this positive with this positive attitude. There's something very profound that gets reawakened. You just relax because this present moment is never really perfect in the sense of completely flawless. So nothing in that way can ever be perfect you can't be flawless your writing cannot be flawless your life cannot be flawless nothing you yourself cannot be flawless but you can open up to the life as it is as you know being a not like a picture perfect but like a like a harmonious oneness that you can open up to something that yeah. just makes sense to you as a whole and in that, you know, when you when you look at life like that, uh, and you just think of, I can only answer to this whole life with an open heart, and let whatever happens happens. You, you, uh, something really profound happens inside of you, and things flow. I'm no longer attached to creating anything perfect or the, uh, having the perfect sentence. Or you know, the, I love perfect sentences. I love beautiful sentences. Well, but I, it's like know. it. Mm -hmm. your perfect sentence might not be my perfect sentence. This is the thing about the concept yeah. of the perfect yeah. anything yeah. is that it just, it's, you know, but, but I do th I, I think for me, I do think that there is something inherent about us, sort of non-physical about us that maybe is flawless. The expression isn't, but what we come from, sort of our spirit is intact and complete. But I know that everything I write is, is going to just be a reflection of that but never all of it. Um, you can't, I don't think it's, impo it's possible to create on the page the sort of inner perfection that I think we're made of. I mean, there's the expression of us, our hands, our faces, our bodies, our lives, but then there's the sort of consciousness that we're born of. I do think that is intact and complete as it is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I mean, the, the, so for me, the perfection is in my interrelatedness that i'm related to this wonderful creative right. life i'm related to that i'm a part of right. that and it's complete and when i feel that connection to myself and to my to the world i feel as i feel connected to that sort of uh perfection you know that right. that's a different the different type of 
perfection. You know, it's like, it's, it's different. Yes. It, it feels like you are more like leaning on to something much bigger than yourself. And there's people call it spirit, or uh, you know, God, some people feel connected with God. I say right. I feel connected with the flow of life or with this oneness. I feel connected to this perfect life in you know because everything is included perfect as incomplete and not you know little pieces being broken and somehow being together but it's there's a completeness to it and and that completeness finds itself in me as well so in that way yes i do very much believe there's that sense of wholeness and uh, and completeness inside of me, and you can relax into it because it has nothing to do with trying to hit a norm or an outcome. It's right. it's everything right. about this present moment. You can just breathe into this, and you can prepare your entire day for this by just taking a few minutes to contemplate. Uh, the, this type of thing before you even get up and stand up uh, and get ready for your day. So, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, you um, know, I have to watch myself. I'll get up, and, and I'm, I've gotten pretty good about being conscious of what I do, but I'll get up, and like the first thing I'll think about is what needs to be done. Like I've got, I actually meditate first thing first, but, you know, mm-hmm. but, mm-hmm. But, but yet right when I, like, I crack my eyes open, like my thought will come, mm-hmm. i got to do this, and I'm like, Stop. Stop. No, not yet. Not yet. It's not time to do that. So I have to watch it because that's where I go. my mind goes to first. But when I let that rest and I meditate, and the meditation is such a good kind of neutral starting place for me, I find. I do it with my mm-hmm. wife, too, so it helps having two of us. But Oh, um, that's beautiful. It does set, Together. Yeah, mm-hmm. it is nice. Yeah, it's good. And, so, and then we read a book that's maybe a little uplifting book, a little quick, uh, you know, a couple paragraphs of that. And so it, it puts me in a good frame of mind. Then I write right away. That's always the first thing I really do is write. So, but it is, but it does, I do have to consciously put my mind in that place and pay attention to it yeah, uh, this because is my a, mind this, does not go there naturally. Right. Yeah. This is a conscious, this being conscious about it makes such a big difference. <clears throat> and then when you go on and make sure that you do the things I describe, of course, in my book, you do the things that nourish you and that buffer against anxiety because that's what we need so badly. We are so overwhelmed and we don't know how to buffer anymore against anxiety. So you do that in the, when you prepare your mind, but then when you get up, you do things, and not just for your mind up there, your intellect, but you do it also for your body. You, you, yeah. you, you feel your body, you move your body, you feed your body, and uh, this, is, this buffers against anxiety, and this is what nourishes you also on mentally and spiritually, so because it's one whole. So you, it, the body, mind, spirit, it's one whole, and so it, you have to also pay attention to uh, what you take into your body, what you eat, and how you uh, and what you will not eat. You know, make sure you eat yeah, healthily sure. and and so on, and and exercise and and uh, and move your body. But in that spirit of enlightenment, you know, so you know, in Zen, we believe that everyone is already enlightened. We're just blind to it. We just don't. Right. We don't know that we are related. We feel so alone and so separate. 
And you yeah. know, when you when you have these kind of practical things that you can do throughout the day that remind you of your own enlightenment, that that is really what my book is trying to do. You know, it's trying to get us in touch with our own enlightenment that is there. You know, so yeah. I I just know more that I'm enlightened than a lot of other people, but there's no difference between us inherently because we are all interconnected and there's all this light of consciousness is inside of us. So I find right. it um, beautiful to be to have a practice, to be reminded of our own divinity. And of course, love plays a big role in this. I have a lot to say about love and what it actually means <laughs> and what course. we can do. And so, right. but it is all about fi- finding a pathway to our enlightened mind. You know, it's a, it's it's a it, it's the healthy mind that that you want to uncover. Yeah, we, that is yeah. The, the basic idea of. My book is that you uncover, it's not that you have to construct something and come up with something or be somebody, be somebody, no. you know? No, yeah. it's more like waking up to something. I've always It's waking up. Like that. it's more, yeah. Well, Andrea, this was a fast 30 minutes. Good Yes, Lord. it was. Good Lord. But I'm not quite done with you. <laughs> uh, you know what's coming if you listen to my show. But wait, now, before I get to my final question, if people want to learn all about you, where should they do it? So you can go uh, on my website, andreapollard.com, and Pollard is with one L, Andrea, P-O-L-A-R-D.com, and you can... You you find all all other connections on my website. I'm of course on Facebook and I'm on Twitter, and I'm going to go on Instagram today because somebody right. said it can be very much fun. But oh, yes, okay. on my website that would be the best way for you to connect with me. All right, excellent. And AndreaPollard.com. Okay. All right, Andrea. I call you Andrea. Is that okay, Andrea? Do you want sure. Andrea? You like sure. Andrea? Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Either way. Okay, well, if writing has taught you anything, it's taught you what? A fierce focus on yeah. my creative process. I like it. I like it. Focus is good. <laughs> well, listen, good luck with both new books, The Heart Sutra and uh, Enlightenment Guaranteed. And, uh, well, I, 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 I look forward to seeing them. Wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. You are most welcome. Take it easy. Thank you. There's focus, people. It's good. You're focusing on something you like. Yes, you are. Uh, all right. Well, listen, people. There's some primaries today. Go out and vote if you're in those 14 states. Uh, if you're not, just chill out. Chill out. Relax. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. It is. It is. I don't always believe it. Well, well, ultimately, it always is. I complain, but it's always going to be okay. I will be back again next week. Do this again. I want to thank my producer, as always, R.J. Jeffries. Thank you. You're great. And uh, to all of you out there, go find something you love and just do it. Just do it. Just do it.